listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I am Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my amazing podcast partner, Lisa Schneer. Say hi, Lisa. Howdy, everyone. Well, folks, everyone talks about driving more pipeline these days. And of course, we all have a role to play within that. But for today, we want to discuss how evolving your marketing messaging can deliver a more effective customer experience and much-needed engagement. And to help us out with this very important topic today, we have Michelle Giardinello, who's a senior customer marketing manager at Kimberly Clark Professional. So next time you look down and you see your toilet paper dispenser say Kimberly Clark on it, you can think of Michelle. <laughs> she is a 10-year veteran there and has a unique background covering sales and marketing. And we also, in full disclosure, have our very own colleague, Liz Roche. Sorry, I'm saying that wrong, Liz. And Liz and the team been working together with KCP for almost three years and lives and runs and designs our marketing focused programs at Value Selling Associates. Michelle and Liz, super excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're excited. Awesome. All right. We have our standard little question that we use at the beginning. So to get our audience to get to know you a little bit better, Michelle, I'm going to go to you first. What's something that you are passionate about that those that only know you through work might be surprised to know about you. What am I passionate about? I like to describe myself as a word stylist. I feel like I take a lot of my inspiration into my marketing collateral and what I do at work through what I do in home. And I love creating comfortable spaces and interior design. And I'm a wordsmith at heart. So I kind of try to find a way to marry those two together. Awesome. And Liz, what's uh, since I do know you, so I'm going to be interested in your answer. That's why I didn't tell you in advance, Carlos. So you'd probably know that I'm passionate about skiing. But what I don't think anyone knows is that I have had more knee reconstructions and replacements than anybody I know. I am not an elegant skier. I'm klutzy. I've had three ACL replacements, a surgery on my back, and uh, I broke my foot from skiing injuries. So there you go. The klutziest skier around. Are you surprised? You'd have to talk to my husband about that one. No. <laughs> my gosh. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, the skiing takes you out of commission more than it does put you into commission. <laughs> so, <laughs> Michelle, tell us a little bit about your background. You're almost 10 years in with KCP. So uh, what led you to where you are today? You know, give us a little bit of your story. Yeah, I can't believe it. I'm celebrating 10 years next year at our sales meeting. So hopefully I get to walk across the stage and accept a, a fancy award for both 10 years and, and winning our key contributor. So I actually started my journey in distribution. I guess when I was in college, I thought I was going to be either Ernest Hemingway, back to my word stylist, or Carrie Bradshaw. So I really wanted to work in editorial. I wanted to be a writer. I found this job posting, you know, 2009, very, very top atmosphere to get a job. And it was part of a working on the catalog for Cisco Gas Supply, which is a lodging distributor. And essentially, they were focused on putting out this one source solution catalog. I was in charge of the janitorial section. And ultimately, that turned me into this subject matter expert on bath tissue, towels, 
all these janitorial products that I thought, gross, what am I doing in this industry? But the great thing about the cleaning industry is that it is indestructible. Everyone is always going to need something to clean, whether that's their hands or surfaces. So what I learned in this pseudo marketing capability role was that I do not have experience on the ground floor. I do not have sales experience. And that's where I found Kimberly Clark Professional and just decided to put my feet on the street and take my learnings out on the road and then ultimately come back into marketing later on. Fantastic. So jumping back on the topic of the day, Michelle, can you give us a little background? And I think I know the answer, but on Kimberly Clark Professional, because some of the folks listening might go, what do they do? And then maybe even what kind of drove urgency to evolve that sales and marketing messaging or strategy? Kimberly Clark Professional. So you are likely more familiar with our brands than our, the name of our organization. So we're the, ma- the manufacturer of hygienic workplace solutions that really touch people across all stages of their life. So think brands like Kleenex, Cottonelle. And the professional side, we focus on the B2B market so that healthcare, office buildings, high traffic facilities, that's really, really our bread and butter. Awesome. So Liz, do you want to give a little background on yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So here at Value Selling, I work at the intersection of sales and marketing, having both been in sales and a professional marketer. But I started my career and I spent almost half my career as an industry analyst for a firm that was acquired by Gartner called Metagroup. And then I ran around HITAP, HP, Microsoft, Whitney Bowes, and working in high tech and product and portfolio development put me marketing adjacent. So when I really got serious about marketing, I ran product and solution marketing at Pitney Bowes. I really started to see how aligning sales and marketing was critical, but more importantly, having messaging that was customer-centric, making the customer as the design point, really had some magical qualities and could really help improve engagement. And that's what I've been passionate about ever since. And that's what I'm doing here at Value Selling, working with folks like Michelle and, you know, really bringing that passioning and engagement to KCP. Well, Liz, we're, we're lucky to have you as part of the team and we really appreciate it. All right. Well, I was thinking about diving right into what, uh, you know, exactly did you end up doing together for KCP? Like, what was the project? Can you tell us a little bit about what you implemented, how it went? Liz, maybe I'll have you lay the groundwork because I think you kicked it off with sales and then that really kind of paved the way for a marketing partnership. So maybe you can give that background. Yeah, absolutely. And Michelle, I'm thinking back to two years ago when we were, we at Value Selling were rolling out a company-wide sales improvement program that was grounded in the value selling methodology. And we had a giant implementation right during the pandemic. It was going to be in person, moved to virtual. And we had several, oh, I want to say, say five or six or seven facilitators working with sales teams. And I ran the marketing program for a small group of marketers that you participated in. Fast forward a few months, we were working together, but we finding that the marketers hadn't necessarily embraced these concepts. And after a two-day workshop, it's very hard to. And we decided that we were going to rerun the workshop for marketers and expand it to other folks who hadn't been through the program. So in December, 
we ran another program. We got hands dirty. We worked messaging. We worked personas. We worked content. And then, Michelle, you and I decided we were going to roll out after that 10 monthly work sessions with different, with different marketing partners to work on specific tactical messaging and content pro- projects. And that's kind of the scope of what we did. And together, you and I held hands. You were doing what I consider to be breast practice work as the value selling champion within marketing. And I want to talk about some of the things you did. And together, I think you and I really helped KCP and your colleagues take their marketing and messaging to the next level. I'm giving you a virtual high five. You can't see it. You too. Virtual high five to you. There is background. Now, why don't you, you, you tell the story from your perspective? Sorry, I stepped on you because I was going to say you were you and Kelly were looking. Kelly is is the 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 North America marketing leader. You were looking to solve some really interesting problems. So I thought maybe you could talk about that too. But I cut you off. You're laughing because yes, no worries. I'm I'm laughing because I'm thinking back to the pandemic when we were great. Actually, I was in sales during the pandemic, but when I moved over to, to marketing, we had a different value selling champion in place at the time, and he's amazing. If, Caleb, if you're listening, he definitely set a lot of a lot of groundwork for the work that we were able to do. And the first training that was held for the marketers, I wasn't able to attend because, sadly, I I was in Hawaii. Oh, that's right, you weren't there. I wasn't there. But after Caleb moved on to his other role in the organization, and I was given this duty, I thought this is such a great fit having the sales background and coming in with the marketing expertise because it's the perfect marriage. It's exactly what we were looking to achieve, which was the unified voice. How do we continue to make sure that marketing and sales are speaking the same language? And we joked the other day on a team call that sometimes we use words like washroom, but it's really the bathroom. So it's almost learning how to speak English again and make sure we're talking to the problems and the pain points that our customers and our end users are truly facing. That makes sense. Absolutely. It's funny you say that. It depends on the culture you're in. Having just come back from a trip, it's like, you know, if you're in Europe, they just say it's the toilet. You're going to the toilet. (laughs) It's not washroom. It's not restroom. It's not bathroom. So yeah, it's really interesting how it changes from place to place. But you do need to understand how your customers are speaking the language, right? And so when you think about what you were facing going into this, and you mentioned a few of them, but what were some of your major underlying challenges that you felt like you had to address and overcome? Yeah, I think one that's still very apparent is during the pandemic, we were category focused. We had to be. We had to supply these essential solutions to these frontline heroes, these healthcare workers who need their skincare order or industrial manufacturers who need their wipers to protect their people from the process. But coming out of the pandemic, we're trying to put ourselves back in this lens of, again, making sure that we're putting problems versus product first. And this is a continuous journey. It's going to be a lifelong journey. We have category managers in place who are solely responsible for driving sales within that category. And I think finding a marriage between how does category and marketing better synergize and work together has been huge. And one of my big challenges, not necessarily influencing up, but influencing over, over to my peers, having these one-on-one conversations around how do wipers really solve a specific issue? 
not just the features and benefits of more durable, less waste, less lint. It's, oh no, you're solving the issue of you're reducing heavy metal exposure. It's a safety, it's a compliant business issue, so to speak. So that's one of the biggest challenges is in a commodity-driven environment, problems versus product first. Michelle, I remember another problem that was very apparent was the category marketers were, they were very clear on their differentiators, but they weren't necessarily unique to KCP. We spent a lot of time talking about differentiation and what really differentiates your solutions. And maybe it's a combination of one or two differentiators, but really getting marketers to start talking about problems that you can uniquely solve with your unique differentiators. And as you and I have discussed a lot, when you're talking about some commodity products, it's really hard to differentiate, let's say, toilet paper. But we figured it out. I know. And it's funny not to laugh about it, but it's just so ingrained in our day-to-day. And I think linking differentiators to problem has been this huge mind explosion of, oh, wow, our wet task DIY wet wiping system solves an issue around clot binding and efficacy. And that's where it's important to a healthcare provider or infection control because they need a solution that's going to do what it says it's going to do. But if we start throwing out all these features and benefits, it's selling kid books to someone who doesn't have kids. It's not going to land. It's selling, you know, who knows, anything to just someone who doesn't care about what you're trying to sell. No value, no interest, no sale. And that, I think, can be really tough because we're so excited about our solutions and and salespeople want to go in and talk to their customers about every new feature and every new enhance that we've made. But let's take a minute. Let's talk to the customer. Let's actively listen and then offer your unique solution to set you apart. That makes a lot of sense. And when you think about, you know, how common the need is, it does become this whole conversation around quality, around service, around, you know, like all of the things that do differentiate you from any other option. So love that conversation. So what role, like walk us through and walk our listeners through a little bit about the role value selling played in this messaging and content alignment? Like how did you go about the approach here to help KCP get to that place? So interestingly enough, Michelle and I partnered on this. Value selling brought the methodology, the instrumentation, the tools, the philosophy, worked with Michelle's team, her leaders, and her colleagues. We did a couple of workshops, and then we did lots and lots of internal marketing. We did value selling, brought consulting and regular engagement and lots of feedback and mentoring. But I have to say, Michelle conducted a masterclass in internal marketing and promotion. Michelle, for example, every time we did some follow-up, she collected a couple of follow-up sessions. She published an email to all of marketing, like, here are these great things we did. And each marketer that we worked with, here's what they specifically got out of it. I don't know, Michelle, do you want to talk about more of the internal promotion to go along with our coaching sessions and the knowledge and education that we provided people? I do. And I think in a way, presenting a new methodology to salespeople, even marketers, it can be a little jarring. Okay, here's the flavor of the week. 
How is this really going to help me? And what is this going to do for me? And coming from sales, you know, we always know what's best for our customers. But I think what was really important is to actively share, like you said, Liz, how these concepts were landing with individuals. And through these 10 consulting sessions, I was able to really pinpoint, okay, this is what Sergio needs being our industrial marketer. This is what our creative team needs being our the editors and, and our content masters. And through that, Liz and I were able to really tailor and customize these, these hour sessions to 15 minutes of introduction and then really going into what do you need? What questions do you have? What are you currently working on? And I think one of our most effective sessions, Liz, was, was our session with our creative team just last week. And they all raved of how important it is to see their own work and get live feedback. And what exactly is a business issue? What's a problem and, and why it might not be showing up or where it is showing up? So where the rubber hit, hit the road, so to speak, was, was really where we saw the most value. Carlos, sorry, I just, I just wanted to add one more tiny example if we have time which is retooling how you go to trade shows and what booth messaging looks like. So moving away from messaging around the new shiny object, the new feature you want to promote, and talking in your booth or messaging in the big creative letters around business issues and problems people can solve, and then walking them through the booth to show them how they can solve those problems. So I thought that was particularly interesting. And I know that when we did that for a show that you went to, how many more leads did you get? Sorry, I've got it. I've got it up here. I know that you had 234%, a 234% increase in leads at the premier healthcare show when value selling tactics were applied, which I think was just phenomenal. Totally killer. And I think just a couple points on that. One, reason that happened equip the salespeople with those open probe questions to ask as you know the booth goers come by the booth hey are you struggling with infection prevention is restroom management a challenge for you and it became this conversation i mean you, you know how awkward it can be when someone walks by your booth i don't know what to say hello hi come talk to me and instead it, it was this way to to give them questions to say this is what you say this is what you say our imagery ad addressed specific problems. And then we also partnered with our consumable group. So our Huggies team. And I think that only, that also kind of positioned us in this unified presence, not only from sales and marketing, but across business units. So I think those were a couple of reasons that led to such a, an increase in, in lead and presence. Michelle, I'm having flashbacks to kitten trade show duty and just looking at, you know, as a kid, I was like, hi, how you doing? <laughs> and trying to think. Yeah. Help me. Help me. Well, I mean, so me as a self-proclaimed introvert, I would probably run to the back of the booth and say, if you need me, I'll be over here. But having, I think, some questions in your back pocket to say, okay, what are our differentiators? What are we here to talk about? It really helps kind of make it less awkward. I think that's awesome. So many times, you know, at a 30,000-foot level, organizations talked about, of course, we're in alignment. And this is our messaging for the show. And then you ask whether it's three people, 10 people, does it matter? Hey, what's our messaging? They'll give you 10 different answers. So the fact that you were able to not only get the right 
messaging, but even give them questions to ask. They pull people in. Sounds fantastic. And 234% increase sounds amazing. Any other results you could share with us? Absolutely. I think one of my favorite results, while it was more self-reported, back to the point of value selling, was re-establishing and building this content library for not only our sales team, but for creative, marketing, demand gen. And we essentially created one-page battle cards. And this deck is now up to probably 40 different battle cards ranging from content on segment to our competitors to our distributor partners. And I can tell you actually, the amount of downloads, the amount of engagement, the amount of questions I have. And ultimately, I pulled these individuals who are using these battle cards, both from marketing and sales, and they've really self-reported a 15 increase in confidence from a sales perspective. Once I, me, as a sales rep, take a look at this one-page guide, I feel more confident of going out and making a new a sales call with a new end user. And with 25% of our sales team being new to the organization, that's huge. That could potentially reduce the sales cycle by three days. And that's money. That's fantastic. Were there any results that surprised you? I do have another example that did surprise me. And Liz, we talked about this. So we launched a brand new innovative dispensing solution last year called our Icon Dispenser Collection. And the unique differentiator about sensors is that the face plates can actually be customized. You can create this beautiful artistic imagery with art, with nature, with hand hygiene signage, and it can be swapped out with any kind of different messaging or aesthetic that you'd like. And ultimately, we decided to put together a paid ad campaign featuring this solution. And the interesting piece was that we really had to think about the problem that these faceplates solve, because it truly just sounds like an aesthetic facelift, but there are different use cases in different segments. For example, in industrial, it's it's about compliance. So why can't we use this faceplate as a medium to encourage hand hygiene compliance with some sort of infographic? So we did that for each of our of our core segments. And ultimately, through the campaign, we saw a 186% increase in our click-through rates on this campaign because we truly thought about problems, business issues, and the value for maybe a solution that we didn't quite know the problem that it that it truly solved for. That's awesome. Because so many times, you know, we think it's such a cool thing. Of course, you're going to love it. But we don't seem to go the extra step like you just said. Hey, what are we really trying to address? What problems we and for whom is that? So quick question on the side of that. It sounds a like great result. Do you think the team can continue those types of results? Can they continue this kind of approach and methodology, or is it too hard? Is it just too hard to go that extra mile, think about problems and challenges all the time? I'm glad you asked because we we did really think about how we embed this methodology into our processes. And one example was our intake form for our creative team that specifically asks, what business issue are you solving for? We have a new communications manager, a new commercialization manager on our team, and those two headcounts were were at it this year. And both of those individuals, with the help of me and Liz, have been schooled on value selling and been given tools to now kind of filter these, these requests and campaigns and programs with these handy back pocket questions that the team has come up with, such as, what problems does this feature solve? What is the value? Who's the audience? 
How does this feature compare to competition? And by putting those questions in a framework and, and a process, we're able to, to now filter and make sure that we keep delivering those results long-term. That's great. It's funny, I attended a meeting once and they took some of those questions and they literally put them in signs around the room as they were having this meeting. So they consistently went back to it as a way to kind of turn that corner. Also had someone tell me that the comfort zone is where creativity goes to die. Yes, and it's still very uncomfortable. It still can feel a little strange, but I had a previous team leader tell me that if it feels uncomfortable, it means you're doing it right. I guess it's kind of like lifting weights. Oh, this hurts, but, but I'm doing it right. We also provided very actionable and tactical tools, for example, the creative team and to some of the other marketers, for example, a content checklist that just reminds you what you're writing and a way to interrogate your own content to make sure that you're staying on track. You know, teaching marketers to understand how to tell stories and write stories for sales. You know, in the value selling world, we call these reference stories and value stories, but really they're just hero's journey stories. So having that template for marketers to always be writing a hero's journey and to keep the stories short, another little tool. So I think if there's a takeaway here, it's going to be to make sure you have those job accelerators and those key job tools available so that you can really make this. That makes sense. And like, so now the two of you, of course, Liz having worked with multiple clients and now Michelle being through this, what would you recommend for other marketing teams who are looking to achieve similar results? Like, what do you think are some of the biggest pieces apart from hiring value selling and Liz? <laughs> and duplicating me. It's tough because, you know, obviously I'm looking through my old lens, but I will say simply put, reading the book has been extremely helpful and not only reading it one, but going back and learning how the concepts apply to the value prompter. And I didn't use the value prompter in my own life. I mean, I got engaged last year and I was telling Liz the other day that I'm trying to plan a wedding and I realized that my wedding planner wasn't addressing my business issues. So ultimately... I fired her because I didn't feel like she was listening to me. So I think that an actual takeaway is one, read the book, two, use some value prompter in maybe ways that you wouldn't expect. I think originally I felt that it was really just a tool for sales to, to progress a conversation, but it's how does your campaign, does your message, does your problem fit into this framework and an easy way to figure out what's missing and how you can address it. I would, I would add to that, that I think marketers need to be a little bit vulnerable. We just talked about the fact that if it's uncomfortable, you're doing it right. But I think that we all need to be open to the fact that although we like to use the words, you know, the customer is the North Star, the customer is the design point, I think we need to be a little vulnerable to the fact that we need some instrumentation to actually do that. They're not just words we like to say. I mean, yeah, we do like to say the words, but the way you do it is very methodical. I think that's what's interesting about the way KCP has embraced that because we took a program that sales was embracing, value selling, and the marketing team applied a specific tailored version of that called value selling for marketing pros, which takes those tools and adds some new ones, but teaches marketers how to use those concepts in their own life. And they were vulnerable enough to say, yeah, I think I have something to learn here. And I think that's really important 
for marketing teams as they evolve and expand. I love that. And now that we have this Bible and these content resources, we continually point back to true north and using all of these insights that we've kind of created and cultivated through the year. And we have some serious learnings and, and great examples that we can keep utilizing from here on out. And it's finally see upward and onward movement from here. So one last big question, and I'm going to ask Liz and Michelle, call it Acceleration Insights. What might be that one piece of advice? It could be business or personal, by the way that you would love to share with our listeners that would help them, you know, achieve their own goals, be as successful as both of you. Let's see, who would like to go first? Lynn is going first. Lynn is going first. (laughs) (laughs) I'll start. So my acceleration insight is to, in your marketing and in any kind of customer engagement, always ask yourself, what is this like from the customer's perspective? What is the customer's number one priority that they're wrestling with? What are their problems? What can I do differently to help them solve those problems? Just always, every time you think about it, ask yourself those three questions. Well, I think, you know what I I would even add to that? I'm almost saying that, yes, the value-selling vocabulary and vernacular might seem a little scary, like business issue. But like you said, Liz, it's about priorities. What are we here for? What are you trying to solve? And remembering that the best products, the best campaigns, simply address real problems. Love it. Simple yet powerful. So Michelle, if any of our listeners wanted to continue the conversation with you or talk to you about any of the topics we covered today, what's your preferred method of engagement? You can find me on LinkedIn, Michelle Giardinello. I'm on all the platforms, but... I'm happy to to talk about any of the insights shared today with anyone because I think it's been a true learning experience for me. And anyone interested in adopting a similar type journey would have a lot, a lot to hear if they want to know more. Amazing. Thank you, Michelle. What about you, Liz? Yeah, find me on LinkedIn. I'm Elizabeth Roach CT for Connecticut. There are a lot of Elizabeth Roaches out there. So find me there. I'm all over it. Love it. Michelle, Liz, cannot thank you enough for your time today. We know how valuable it is, and it's been great having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. Share this episode with friends, family, your kids, your coworkers, and get them off screens for a little while. You can subscribe through YouTube, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes. I am Lisa Schneer. I am here with my amazing podcast partner in crime, Carlos Noche. And until next time, we wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.